Why does Satan think he can actually win against God? It's a question that we answer in this episode by looking at an old prophecy from Jeremiah that nobody seems to pay attention to, except the servants of Satan. It's pretty incredible how the modern scientific age is trying to fulfill prophecies from the Old Testament in order to fight Jesus. If it sounds incredible, well, you'll see the evidence for it here. This is part two of chapter seven of the book, Maybe Everyone is Wrong, Revelations, Conspiracy, and the Kingdom of Heaven. The chapter is about evil delusion, and that's why this fits within that chapter. Satan thinks he can win, and it's going to seem like he will by the end. But this will be a great delusion that is actually part of God's plan, incorporating Satan's evil plan within his. That's kind of what we've been seeing the whole time. So it's not a surprise, really. But the implications of this particular scheme of Satan and the way he will appear to win is so controversial that many people, many Christians, may not even be ready to hear it. Strap in and listen closely, because you're going to learn a lot in this episode. Satan's Loophole The True Role of Dark Science Let's return to the topic of Los Alumbrados. Remember that they were born out of the hybridized Gnosticism of Jewish Kabbalah and Spanish mystics in the Age of Sale in the 1400s. Their obsession with the occult and scientific knowledge, or gnosis in Greek, was not driven by a rational curiosity or pure love of knowledge. There was something deeply sinister and dark about their inquiries. It was about control and power. Most Christians can't even comprehend that somebody would believe the Bible was powerful and true, and yet abandon its doctrine and use it as a weapon for selfish gain. But that's what thousands of scholars have done throughout history, and continue to do to this day. They reject literal interpretations, and invent all sorts of backwards and inverted meanings while still regarding the book as sacred. Satan knows that the Bible is powerful, but evil will always pervert what is good and pure. Gnostics see the scriptures as supernaturally powerful, but only so that they can use it for secret schemes. And the Jesuits continued this tradition by reading the Bible carefully, but only to glean and twist the meaning of things. Many books have been written exposing the hypocrisy and deceit of the Jesuits, mostly produced in the 1800s when European intellectuals were becoming sick of them. We must remember that even your typical Roman Catholic priest commits blasphemy and sacrilege on a daily basis as they deign to absolve sins in place of God, 
claimed to convert wine and crackers into the literal blood and flesh of Jesus Christ for communion and instruct ignorant followers to worship Mary and make their prayers to saints instead of praying to Christ or God directly. But the Jesuits were masters of cunning and subtle propaganda, rising to the occasion of the Protestants and their newly discovered love of Scripture in the 1500s. Ex-Jesuits who have been converted to Christ, such as Alberto Rivera, have attested that their brainwashing was so complete that they could not even read the words of the Bible without distorting it automatically and seeing things in the verses that weren't there. To give the reader some idea of how this wicked blindness works, below is an example of how a Gnostic Jesuit might see a biblical passage. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, pretending to be Jewish and marrying into Jewish bloodlines to gain their secrets and riches, in order that I might win, dominate, Jews. To those outside the law, secular, heathen, as one outside the law, pretending to be secular and atheist and making secret societies like Freemasons to gain their obedience, in order that I might win, dominate, those outside the law. To the weak I became as weak, feigned meekness and humility, in order that I might win, dominate, the weak. I have become all things to all men, secret agents able to camouflage in any culture or society, that I might by all means, including murder, theft, fraud, lawsuits, deception, save, subjugate, some. 1 Corinthians 9, 20-22 And everyone who competes struggles for dominance, exercises self-control, extreme military training and cunning, in all things. Now they compete in order that they might receive a perishable crown, temporary local authority, but we compete for an imperishable crown, eternal world domination. Therefore I run thus, not as without a goal. Thus I box, physically attack, kill, not as one beating the air, but I treat my body roughly, harsh discipline and rituals, and I bring it into subjection, occult self-mastery, lest, having preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. 1 Corinthians 9, 25-27 The symbol of the Jesuits has been around since their creation, and is used to this day, though exact details vary. The basics are always the same. The whole symbol is contained within a sun, which is a direct homage to the Jesuits' roots as alumbrados, 
and their satanic enlightenment. Three nails showing the eternal power to crucify and dominate Christ, and a cross above the letters, IHS, are inside the sun. The letters IHS are supposedly a Christogram that refers to Jesus. Roman Catholics carry on the tradition of Constantine, who obsessively used the image of the cross as a symbol of Roman spiritual power to conquer. Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross and died on it, showing Rome's power to kill the Messiah and defy God. For true Christians, we never need to see the cross, wear it, or glorify it with symbols or adorn our churches with it. The story of the cross is only one of many important phases of Jesus' ministry and symbolizes the fulfillment of his mission and the forgiveness of our sins, accomplished once and forever, after which Jesus was resurrected and now lives in heaven, victorious and glorified. But that does not make the nails and the cross any less potent for the beast system, which sees it from the other point of view. It shows Satan's power to make war with Christ's church and prevail. They continually advertise the Roman cross, not as a sign of redemption, but of the dark power of Rome, the continual persecution of Christians, and an attempt to humiliate Jesus by keeping him symbolically in a state of eternal suffering. To Gnostics, nothing is what it seems. They think the plain language of the Bible hides a mystery that often means the opposite of what it says. In Canada, the Jesuits have a special document called a Jesuit Dictionary that explains that they have their own language, dubbed Jesuit speak. Note. Here we see an entry entitled Alumni of Jesuit Education. It says, Included would be Rousseau, Moliere, Voltaire, Alfred Hitchcock, James Joyce, Descartes, Arthur Conan Doyle, Fidel Castro, and President Bill Clinton, among others. This shows that the Jesuits take personal credit for all those leaders who were educated in Jesuit universities, such as Georgetown. They love to be the schoolmasters of the elite to this day, just as they were in the 1500s. They are proud of being double talkers, able to subtly confuse their listeners. I can attest that, in my own life, I have personally met a student of Gnosticism who loved to twist the meaning of words around and tried to recruit me into his occult view of the Bible, saying that Jesus was an Egyptian magician who was trying to teach mankind about the secrets of mysticism. To them, love 
can secretly mean hatred and murder. Faith can mean atheism. Every good promise God makes can be turned into a trap against humanity, if leveraged properly. By using their knowledge of the Old Testament and other ancient texts, Kabbalah practitioners are experts on looking for ways to undermine God's plans, just as Satan always does. Even in the Garden of Eden, the serpent used God's own words to deceive humans, and again when Christ was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. This is important to understand because, as you're about to learn, there are some promises in the Bible that have staggering implications to Gnostics, which we would overlook as practically impossible to exploit. Shortly before the age of science and materialism, Los Alumbrados discovered something that would potentially allow Satan to have the ultimate victory over God in their minds. This became their main goal. Although it is completely overlooked by scholars and Bible teachers alike, there is a single verse in the Bible that has the power to cancel God's entire covenant with Israel, and, by extension, the Messiah. This was not told to me by anyone, but having some knowledge of how they operate and seeing their plans unfold in the world, I understood it myself. This promise has become the number one priority of the Jesuits and their cadre of obsessed scientists ever since the 1500s, during the rise of men like Ignatius Loyola and Francis Bacon. Thus saith the Lord, If heaven above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. Jeremiah 31.37 Read it again carefully if you must. Most Christians would read this and believe that it's a promise of eternal faithfulness to Israel, because the thing being discussed is an impossibility, meant to show how God's loyalty to Israel is permanent and unbreakable. After all, humans could never measure the heavens or search out the foundations below. Can they? It may be impossible to believe, but Satan and his evil servants take this deadly serious. After all, it is a promise of God himself, meaning he cannot ignore it or pretend it doesn't exist if somebody were to fulfill it. To the Gnostics who love Satan, this is an actual loophole that, if they pull it off, would invalidate all the prophecies concerning Israel and therefore Christ's victorious return to earth. Everything changes. Does it seem ridiculous that an ancient Catholic religious order from the 1500s, during the height of the Spanish Inquisition, when all radical ideas were being 
punished with torture and death, could somehow be arrogant enough to believe they could measure the heavens or search the foundations of the earth? It shouldn't. Once you know about the Jesuits, you will see that it's exactly what they believed they could do, and they used the full power of their secret international finance and spy network to pursue it. There are two dedicated fields of science related to the measurement of heaven and the foundations of the world. They're called astronomy and seismology. Astronomy The branch of physics studying celestial bodies and the whole universe. Seismology The branch of geology that studies earthquakes. It turns out that these are the two scientific fields that the Jesuits are most recognized worldwide as being pioneers of. Seismology has been called the Jesuit science, in fact. They were some of the earliest, best, and biggest researchers, dating back centuries. They tried to create a new and corrected calendar in 1582, based on observations of the heavens. They introduced astronomy to the Chinese around the same time, reviving their scientific interests. They built multiple advanced observatories in the 1700s around Rome. They tried to map the whole sky in the 1800s. They built major laboratories in the early 1900s. In 1981, they moved to Tucson, Arizona, because the skies were much more clear, and according to VaticanObservatory.va, the Vatican Observatory Research Group, VORG, in Tucson, Arizona, in the United States, is one of the world's largest and most modern centers for observational astronomy. The website boasts that the VATT, Vatican Advanced Technology Telescope, has pioneered the new technology of creating large, lightweight, stable mirrors in a rotating furnace. As recently as June 2020, another Jesuit priest was honored by having an asteroid named after him. According to an article at thedialogue.org, dated June 22nd, one more Jesuit has had an asteroid named for him. It goes on to describe how the 74-year-old Jesuit priest built and maintained special cameras to image the cosmos. He joined the observatory staff in 1983 and has a degree in astronomy from the University of Toronto. He studied galactic structure and star formation. He is quoted as saying, I am very much a star man, but realizing that stars are in our galaxy, 
I'm also interested in galactic structure and history of star populations in our galaxy. My way of probing all this is through the individual stars. But it adds that the Jesuits' current research focuses on the characteristics of human sentience in the context of evolution, deconstructing the human mind in the context of evolution is an interesting thing for a Roman Catholic priest to be studying, don't you think? Other Jesuit contemporaries who have had asteroids named after them are Brother Guy Consolmagno, director of the Vatican Observatory, Father Richard Boyle, Father Jean-Baptiste Kikwaya, and Father Robert Mack, a meteorite curator. Previously, asteroids have also been named after Father Christopher Clavio, who made mathematical measurements that helped develop the Gregorian calendar, and so on. This is no joke. You can look it up yourself. The Jesuits have won awards and been recognized by scientific institutions for their amazing insights into the field of measuring the heavens and searching the foundations of the earth beneath. Seismology observation stations are manned by Jesuit priests. They created and operated some of the most prestigious universities in the world, such as Georgetown. They want to know how to measure the heavens and figure out the foundations of the world. However, because scientists discovered that the universe is not static, but changing and expanding constantly, it's impossible to simply measure it once and have an accurate map. There are so many variables and mysteries, such as dark matter, that nobody could ever say it has a defined size. Rather, the only way to really measure it would be figuring out the exact formula behind all of creation itself, producing some kind of formula that predicts and explains the trajectory of the cosmos. In order to break through this mystery, scientists have moved on to quantum science. This is science that is mostly theoretical and based on particles, waves, and math more than natural observation. By unlocking the secrets of molecules and energy, scientists developed nuclear power, atomic bombs, transistors, wireless communication, genetics, and many more incredible things. In a sense, they are accidental byproducts of this endless Gnostic pursuit of the Jeremiah 3137 loophole. It explains why scientific discoveries always get used for warfare, control, and evil first and the benefits to mankind are secondary, because those who truly pioneer the sciences 
are often occultists belonging to secret societies and desperately want to enslave mankind and undermine God, not help humanity. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Genesis 1.14 The truth is, astronomy-slash-cosmology have always been an obsession of Gnostics, even before ancient Egypt existed. The exact movement and cycles of the heavens were known to be related to the destiny of mankind, which means they telegraphed the plans of God and the fate of the earth. Astrology, as opposed to astronomy, says that our personalities and relationships supposedly derived from the stars and planets. Whether you believe there is any legitimacy to that or not, you can't deny that ancient scientist priests were geniuses who created amazing monuments and discoveries related to the heavens. They took it very seriously many thousands of years before the supposedly materialist science of today. They were religiously motivated science cults, and that's exactly what top experts still are today. It has always been Gnosticism rooted in a quest for power on behalf of false gods. By scientifically observing the universe, sending out probes, and studying the movements of galaxies and asteroid fields, scientists have found out when the next giant asteroid field will threaten the planet, and can engineer earthquakes themselves using technology. These are powerful things to understand. It makes us wonder if God created the Jeremiah 31-37 loophole specifically to entice Gnostics and evil people to keep studying and never give up. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge, gnosis, cunning, science, shall be increased. Daniel 12, 4 God wants humanity to come closer to understanding the mysteries of creation. He wants Satan's empire to believe they have a genuine loophole that will invalidate his prophecies and promises. Much like psychology and the dream of artificial intelligence, the more scientists have studied, the more they realize they have no idea how things work. God is glorified by mankind's hubris. He wants the most genius minds in the world to be obsessed with invalidating him. Why? Because the more they struggle in vain to thwart him, the more they must admit that they are unworthy and incomparable to his infinite wisdom. 
He will have the last laugh, no matter what. But there's another reason. Because the more they discover, the more they unlock horrific power and show the world their true nature as villains. As we appreciate this race for answers, we must smile at the fact that Jesus controls the timing of it all with his breaking of the seals. Isn't it funny how the timing of the third seal, broken around 1500 A.D., released the black rider with the scales for measuring, which gave Satan just enough time to nearly figure out the loophole before Christ's return. It's getting very close. Today, scientists are making breakthroughs constantly, publishing their findings in magazines and online, trying to nail down the exact formula for how molecules, matter, energy, and the universe all fit together. As they do so, they are finding that the quantum realm has secrets that can change everything. Apparently, according to the researchers, tapping into the quantum side of the universe is akin to unleashing true magical power, to distort reality and align events in ways that shouldn't be possible. As they get closer to figuring out the big secret, they may even be able to create miracles themselves, scientifically. Once they do this, they will believe they have unlocked the secret and measured the heavens. But all of it has a deadline. God only gives Satan a limited amount of time to solve the puzzle. If they can't achieve it by the time Jesus comes back, they lose. But if they can pull it off, Jesus loses. Of course, even if they did figure it out, it's not like God would come down and announce it to the world, so nobody will know whether they succeeded until the big showdown happens and Jesus comes back to earth. Let's not think that Satan hasn't been fighting all these millennia without some kind of strategy for winning. The Jesuits and their secular Gnostic offspring will most likely believe they have accomplished the Jeremiah 31-37 loophole by the time Jesus returns. They will have unlocked many secrets of the quantum, perhaps we should say spiritual, realm, and fully believe they have forced God to abandon the tribes of Israel. They won't be afraid of Jesus coming, and due to their powerful deceptions, all those who aren't in the book of life will go along with their hubris. In terms of timing, let's not forget that the Internet was deployed by DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, the United States' Military Science Division, as a way for university researchers to share findings with each other and the military more quickly. Eventually, it was expanded to home use for these same people, and the idea was to fast-forward breakthroughs. 
but it morphed into a bigger plan to create a global neural network of human input, harvesting the collective consciousness of mankind. It would be indexed, sorted, searched, and studied for clues. Patterns, numbers, curves, and trends would possibly help the Gnostics crack the code. And that's what Google is. It has deep ties to the military and universities to this day, along with the rest of big tech, which has altogether been funded and directed by DARPA. In the end, what scientists have discovered may have been the deadline itself. A meteor stream which threatens to destroy much of the world's surface with giant impacts around the year 2030, according to current measurements. It's a hotly debated topic with many claiming it's not true, but it seems to be speeding up the timeline of Satan regardless. 2030 has become the new international goal for implementing full global weather control systems, the implementation of a global government, massive population reduction, and more. Although we can't trust these people or their findings, the sudden obsession with 2030 suggests that the threat is real. Scientists are hurrying up their plans and trying to solve the Jeremiah 3137 loophole before it's too late. We'll explain how this meteor stream could fit perfectly into Revelation as well. Lastly, we must look at earthquakes in a new light. Scientists have learned to engineer them and may be able to create the very giant earthquakes we see described in Revelation. We tend to assume an earthquake is God's judgment, but that doesn't mean humans aren't unknowingly the ones doing the bidding. By the climax of Revelation, we see that there is an earthquake bigger than any that has ever existed before, and it just so happens to open up Jerusalem for an attack by Satan's army. Could this be the manufactured earthquake of the Jesuits or some other group of satanic scientists believing they have the secrets of Earth's foundation figured out? We've been living through the age of the Black Rider, which has the power to measure and measurement is exactly what's at the heart of this Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-seven. this promise that God made, that he would cast off Israel and break his promises to them if mankind could measure the heavens and search out the foundations below. The fact that the Jesuits wear black, are known as the black-robed priests, and have this rich history of scientific exploration and pioneering specifically in those two areas of measuring the heavens and the foundations below, I think that makes an extremely compelling argument. And we're going to tie it in even more with the evolution of the beast system and so forth going forward. So this really gets reinforced from many different angles, but always tying back into scripture. So in the next chapter of 
maybe everyone is wrong, we're going to deal with the tribulation. And we're going to talk about what kind of tribulation we should be expecting and where it leads and why God needs the church to be killed in order for prophecy to be fulfilled properly. So long, so long. 